hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Sucker Time. The number one award-seeking comedy podcast about comedy. Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast podcaster, Mark Hershaw. Oh yes, it's me, Mark Hershon, your host and benign growth for Epi 119 of Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast. And finally, we have a Succotash Chats episode for you. The last chats I had, those were in relation to the Los Angeles Podcast Festival almost two months ago. And while I enjoy featuring comedy podcast clips as much as the next guy who hosts a show featuring comedy podcast clips it's enjoyable for me to sit back and chat it up with some fun and or funny people once in a while and our guest this episode is actor comedian brian haley a guy that i have known uh well really for 30 years dating back to when i used to run the comedy underground club in seattle washington as you'll hear in this episode not only do i not know everything about brian as much as i thought i did but he also quickly leapt from the stand-up stage to roles on television and in the movies we'll talk about that we'll also talk about his regret at not spending more time in the stand-up comedy realm we talk about some of the roles you'd know him from including the season he did on nbc's wings the coen brothers the man who wasn't there the film always directed by steven spielberg baby's day out which made him a huge star in india of all places and more but you know, really, Succotash is a podcast about other podcasts, primarily comedy-based, as you know. But when there's a comedian involved somewhere in the mix, that pretty much makes any podcast a comedy podcast, right? And Brian has a role in a new show being produced by GE, of all places, something called The Message. Now, I'm fascinated by this show. I've listened to all their episodes so far. We talk about that show and Brian's role in it, and we'll give a listen to a clip from The Message as well. In addition to our chat with Brian Haley, we have a double dose of our Burst O Durst with political comedian and social commentator Will Durst. We also have a Henderson's Pants ad. We'll take a gander into the tweet sack. And we have a new acapella song by our friend Abner Surd, a sweet little ditty about autumn, which we will play at the end of the show. I wanted to take just a moment to thank those of you who've been using the Amazon banner at the top of our home site at SuccotashShow.com when you do your shopping at Amazon.com. Every time you do that, you know, we get a little taste off the top of your purchase. No extra cost to you. Amazon just gives it to us. And lately, we've been getting a nice, tidy, direct deposit from Amazon into the Succotash coffers, which tells us not only are you guys buying stuff there through us, but it's also helping us to truly defray the cost of producing the show a little bit. It still would help if you wanted to click the donate button up at SuccotashShow.com and give us some real money. But that's okay. We take what we can get. The other thing that helps us out is when you take time to rate and review Succotash on iTunes. I want to give a shout-out to Rick from the Ice in the Face podcast, also CEO Pistol Petey, for posting a couple of lovely five-star reviews. They're up on the iTunes uh, section for Succotash. You can read them right now, and uh, thank you guys for those. All righty, let's get to our first burst of durst. This one's from a couple of weeks back, as the Benghazi hearings were in full flower. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words on the Benghazi hearings. And no, Benghazi is not the guy who hung out with John Cassavetes back in the 60s. That was Benghazara. Benghazi is shorthand for an attack on our Libyan compound. And this was the eighth time Republicans held a hearing trying to blame Hillary Clinton for the death of four Americans. Everything is her fault. The Challenger space shuttle blowing up, sinking of the Lusitania, and global warming, which, by the way, doesn't exist. The goal is to damage the former Secretary of State's presidential run. But the overall effect of this 11-hour ordeal was more like spitting in the wind. Most of the effluvium landed on the originators. There could be more blowback, on top of Kevin McCarthy forced to give up his run for Speaker of the House after admitting the hearings were nothing more than a political hatchet job. The Republican test for Hillary seems to be, if she doesn't float, she's not a witch. Nobody knows why the former First Lady makes these guys short-circuit like a jerry-rigged discount space heater during a power surge, and nobody can answer the big question, which is how come when 3,000 people died on 9-11, George Bush was a hero? 
but four people die in Benghazi and Hillary Clinton is responsible. Although for her part, the former New York senator may have overplayed her noble, weary patience by just a tad, especially the part where she pretends to be a 67-year-old grandma befuddled by her email when everybody knows in her spare time she knocks out encrypted navigation codes for NSA drones to skirt no-fly zones. But it ain't over. At the end of the day, the chief marsupial of this kangaroo court, South Carolina's Trey Gowdy, channeled the Chicago Cubs when he said, Wait till next round. Yeah, oh boy, can't wait. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. We'll have another visit by Durst before this episode's over, but remember you can always find more of him on his home site at willdurst.com, or you can catch him appearing live on stage near you, or even twit him tweeting at Will Durst on Twitter. Let's get into my interview with our special guest, Brian Haley. Apologies for the quality of this chat. My usual software that I use has not caught up with the latest Mac OS, and I had to make do by cobbling together a recording made at either end of the Skype connection. It's definitely listenable, but it might be just a mite thin in terms of the audio quality. I had to cut out a lot of extra noise and try and make it sound even, but uh, I'm, as you know, I'm a big stickler about uh, sound quality on podcasts and uh, just could not pull it together as well as I would have liked in this interview with Brian. But uh, I had his opportunity, the opportunity to talk to him, so I didn't want to lose it. So here we go. Enjoy our talk. I will pick you up on the other side. All right. So uh, I have Brian Haley on on the Skype from Skype? <laughs> That guy's making a lot of money, huh? <laughs> the guy who did that. Yes, Skype, and he just sits back for the rest of his life. He gets like a he gets like a nickel every time that happens. That's the kind of mailbox check you want. Yeah, it is. Those are good checks. So, Brian, uh, you are in? Are you in New York or New Jersey? Where are you? I'm in New York. I'm a New Yorker, baby. I live. All I'm right. in Queens right now. But, and, uh, uh, for those of you uh, unfamiliar with Brian Haley, well, where the hell have you been, first of all? Exactly. Second, second of all... If I had a nickel not? for every time, I've had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you and I go back, you know, we were just talking, it's got to be 30 years at this point. The way, way back machine. Uh, yeah, yeah, to, to 85 is when I started. And my yeah. first uh, my first uh, uh, run-in with you, non-violent one, was in uh, 85. For the right. comedy competition. Uh, you know what? I think it was before 85, because you were performing at the Underground in Seattle. No, that's when I started. I, I went up for the first time in 84 at Blocks, like September, and then in April I was in a motorcycle accident, so I was forced to do stand-up comedy. I could no longer be a, uh, a, a laborer. Okay. Uh, and so I, uh, I started doing the open mics, and then that... Spring, I think, did the comedy competition. Oh, I guess that's right. Eighty-five that's right. and eighty-six. Yeah, which yeah. you you ran that, right? Uh, well, yeah, I did run the comp- comedy competition, but I, I left running the comedy underground in nineteen eighty-five. But now I saw you on stage there. Yeah. Uh, I have vivid recollection of you prancing, <laughs> prancing around on stage with a balloon. Oh my God! Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that's stuff, you know. Listen, you know what my favorite line is? Uh, this is in defense of sucking as a comic. Um, my favorite line was at the Comedy Underground, and Doug Ferrari was heckling Rick Dukeman. And and Ferrari had the cojones to say to Dukeman, and Dukeman was destroying him, and, and, and Ferrari said, uh, at least I didn't, uh, Dukeman slammed him, and Ferrari's response was, uh, at least I didn't have a show get canceled, because Dukeman did that video show that was canceled, right? That's right, yeah. And Dukeman just, you know, he just says, Doug, you have to have a show to be canceled on a show. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So you have to actually be on stage in order to suck on stage. So that's my defense for how bad some of my material was when I was starting out. Well, everybody, you know, I just, I was talking. Somebody just the other day about um, 
you know, it's a guy who had just started doing stand-up. He said, you got to be doing this for at least three years before you even have any clue. No. Yeah, absolutely. I have no clue. No clue. It all happened to that. my biggest, I swear to God, my biggest problem with my career in comedy was it all happened too fast. The opposite of what you would think. It, it just, I got, it was the late 80s, or mid-80s, late 80s, and they were just giving anybody who had five minutes, you could get, you could get on TV, you could get, yeah. you know, even at the improv and stuff. Yeah, and I, it was just, TV was gobbling up everything it could find. I never had the chance to really work on my act, like guys who can't act, like Norm MacDonald, spent all their time on their act and got really good at comedy, <laughs> real good. <laughs> Norm's a good actor, I like Norm, he's one of my favorites, but, uh... He's one of the best Colonel Sanders I've ever seen. I auditioned for that. How do you like that, huh? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Colonel Sanders, he's great. They got rid of, uh, what's his name, impersonation guy, Phil. Uh, yeah, yeah, the guy from SNL. Yeah, the SNL guy. And uh, and they replaced him with Norm. <laughs> Norm's, a, uh, Norm's great. Uh, but anyways, uh, what was I saying? So, so, so how long were you doing stand-up before you actually started getting TV stuff? And, and people will... Uh, re- remember you uh, because um, you know you you stepped into uh, the last season of Wings. Uh, the second to the last season, yeah. I re- Lowell, Thomas Hayden Church went right. to Fox to do uh, Ned and Stacy. Yes, with Deborah Messing. So the, the, I got cast as uh, his replacement, the new mechanic on Wings, and that season was their highest rated season. The season with me as their mechanic. Yeah, because Brian Haley was finally on the scene, and then, uh, and then I did not come back for the final season, and uh, they got canceled. Oh, okay, there you go. Right. But, but was that your first uh, your first role that you got cast in? No, I've done. I did a bunch of stuff prior to that. I I started out as an actor. Stand up was. Uh, I was acting in Seattle before I did stand up. Oh, okay. With Lola Hollowell, if you remember her, some ancient old woman. <laughs> she's she's got some kind of tie-in with the American Indians, and I don't think she knows it. She's that old. <laughs> she's she is awesome, man. What a great character. I loved her. And uh, anyways, she. Uh, so I was acting, and then I started doing stand-up, which was always my passion since I was a kid. And then stand-up took off, and so I just went with it. But uh, I had my own show at Fox. I, I got acting right out of the gates. I, stand-up was just a vehicle for me to get... And I, don't, I say this uh, ashamedly. Stand-up was a vehicle for me to get acting gigs. And I really sh- wished I would have focused on my stand-up because I think that that was my strongest... That was my fort, as it's properly pronounced. No, well, you had some... Uh, you were uh, even just starting out. You had some really inventive stuff you know there were some people out of the seattle area that <clears throat> um you know it's a shame a number of people didn't get more attention just based on how quirky some of their stuff was like people like um dennis mitchell oh i love dennis mitchell the right? gooey no that was you sammy and smoochie sammy and smoochie one of the funniest comedy bits i've ever heard of can i tell this story or you want to tell it <laughs> you can tell it the one on the bus you know this one? Uh, oh, that, in, that was in San Francisco. In San Francisco, they're at the Good Time. What's it? What was it called? The other cafe. The other yeah. cafe. The other cafe. They're going through the audience, playing the accordion. Yeah, Rick, Rick Schrader is uh, Smoochie, and uh, Dennis is Sammy. And he's playing the accordion. They're going through, singing songs. They go outside, and yet the other, you could see the windows were on the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, actually, so, uh, Dennis was on stage, and and Rick would go out in the audience with the accordion. Okay. So he gets goes outside. He's, there's like a bus stop there. He's playing for the bus stop. A bus pulls up. He gets on the bus. Last thing you see is him walking down the aisle and a bunch of confused people on a bus staring at him as it drives off. Yep, and Sammy's just on stage smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, man. When Rick would go to the audience, he would just smoke a cigarette and just wait. Those were the days. <laughs> Oh, man. So, so, I mean, and you had that inventiveness. I mean, one of the funniest things, uh, you did that HBO special that I, I was, you were kind enough to invite me to help you with the wraparound stuff with a bunch of other guys. Right. 
Um, but I still remember, because I didn't know, I knew it was you doing stand-up, and then we did this, this wraparound piece at the beginning and the end. But then it wasn't until I was watching this show, and they did the audience cutaways, that you were in the audience laughing at your own stuff. Yeah, yeah. In some of the cutaways. It was like, like patting, you know, slapping someone else on the back and pointing at the stage. <laughs> Hicks. Bill Hicks and I did our, our HBO specials the same night. He got a kick out of that one. Hey, man, you the guy that, you're in your own cutaways, man. Hey, that's funny shit, man. Yeah, uh, the old Vic. I, one of the bits I did in Seattle, yeah, I was I was never afraid to try different weird stuff, so that was my fort. But I, I did uh, definitely uh, also do some stuff that I pray to God never gets out to the general population. I'm sure it will, but... Especially, I should run for president just to see what's out there. Uh, just to get some of your old tape. <laughs> yeah, just to see what kind of footage people have. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I did, I did a bit that I always thought was hilarious. Never got a laugh, and I didn't. I just, I, I can't believe it wasn't funny. I, I started out. My brother gave it to me. My brother Mike. I pulled out a little branch out of my pocket in my jacket. I went to my bank's branch office today, made a withdrawal. That was the bit. Never got a laugh. I go, okay, what's the obvious fix to this, Mark? Can you think of what it is? Bigger branch. Of course. Bigger branch. So I come up, pull out a big-ass branch next time I do a set there. No, nothing. Third time's a charm. I'm going to get him this time. I walk on stage with like an, a 15-foot branch I had found out on a windstorm in a sidewalk. We'll haul that sucker up on stage. Went to my bank's branch office today. Made a withdrawal. Nothing. <laughs> now, see, I'd laugh just because the guy's trying, at least. I mean, you know, that took a lot of effort to haul that thing around town just for that one joke. Some people just don't like prop comedy. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. You know, it, when it rains, it pours. There, there tend to be uh, groups of funny, of, I don't know how to say this without sounding pompous, but um, extremely brilliant, talented geniuses. Um, they all come up at one time, you know? Yeah. And Seattle was, at that time, there was a lot of Drake Sather. Uh, yes. Jeff Stilson, uh, Jerry Swallow, uh, myself, uh, and that's about it. <laughs> but the, the, all those people went on down to Hollywood and uh, Tom McTeague oh, and, and had very successful careers, uh, especially Drake, uh, Jerry, Jerry Swallow too. Yeah. Drake wrote Zoolander. Tom's, Tom's still working hard. Doing yeah. Stuff. Uh huh. But uh, a bunch of very talented, funny people all came up, and Stilson's uh, producing, I don't know, he did Chris Rock's show or something. He's, he's a big shot down there. Yeah. We all came up right at the same time. And we all left, and we all had one thing in common. A dislike for a certain comic in Seattle whose name will go unnamed. <laughs> but he was, uh, he was someone we all universally despised, and we just kind of got glee out of that. But he'll never go anywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if if it's Ricola, <laughs> yeah, he was the guy. He went to L.A. before anybody got out of town and just harvested some bits out of the clubs in L.A. and then brought them back to see. Are we talking white. about the same guy that that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't talk bad about anyone. Behind <laughs> the back. Um, so you, uh, you've also been in a, a pile of movies. Um, yes. Lots of small parts in really, really good movies and big parts in really, really bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> but you were in, uh, uh, Baby's Day Out. You were in, uh, McHale's Navy. Baby's Day Out is so huge. True. In India... That they it played. This is according to Roger Ebert. He's in he's in Bollywood, which is that Calcutta. This is Calcutta, yeah, right? Somewhere. I think so. He's doing an interview, and the interviewer says, "What's oh?" He asked he asked the guy, "What's the biggest movie that ever played in Calcutta, in Bollywood, in India?" And he says, uh, 
you know, thinking it would be Slumdog Millionaire, maybe, you know, who knows. Uh, baby's Day Out. <laughs> this is on the internet, so it can't be a lie. No, this is actually true. Uh, played to sold-out audiences in Calcutta for over a year. Holy cow. It was so popular, they remade it twice in two different languages, like Bengali and some other oh. Indian language. It was crazy. I'm huge in India. Huge. <laughs> Where they respect comedic genius. That's Getting fantastic. kicked in the crotch. Like That's no one fantastic. else's business. Yeah. Anyways. You've done serious turns in uh, a number of things. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I was... Uh, you were in that Spielberg movie, uh, was it Always? Always, always. Yeah. That was my first, that, that, that was my day. first big break in the early 90s, 1989, I believe, yeah. And then, uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, 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 uh I was just going to say, for comedy, I forgot, uh, the, probably the most popular thing I've done is, uh, Little Giants. Oh yeah, Spike's absolutely. dad, Little Giants, and all those guys that watched that when they were, when it came out in '94 are all in the NFL now. Oh my gosh, really? So I, I do really well with the NFL guys <laughs> getting on the sidelines and stuff. If I well, want, that's great. Wanting to, but I, I, I get in good when I when I meet the players. They all know me, and, and uh, I have a very good time there. Uh, drama, yeah. Coen Brothers, man who wasn't there. Yeah, uh, Grand Torino. Yeah, Clint, working with the boss. Yeah. Working out with the boss every day at the gym. I go, Clint, you want your fitness age? He says, what's that? <laughs> you know, you see the posters when you walk in, Bill Puckett, actual age 53, fitness age 42. It's like 500 bucks, I'll do yours for 50. <laughs> I go, you're 37. He says, I just go by how I feel. I say, how do you feel? I feel like I'm a hundred. What was that experience like being on the set with him? That's awesome. It was awesome. He, I mean, people come out of retirement to work on his sets. Um, I almost didn't take the part. It was a small part I auditioned for, but it was Clint Eastwood. I mean, you know, I've made exceptions for really small parts because you can get trapped if you do small parts. People don't take you seriously anymore. But I did it for... Scorsese and I did it for for uh, uh, Coen Brothers and and then this Clint Eastwood like how many of these can I do but I did it and I and, uh, for a construction guy but I was too young for the part and so they, he, he asked me to read for the uh, the son and I got it which is a really good part yeah yeah and my first day there I'm very intimidated um, there's just certain people I've been around everyone that's huge and so I don't have any trouble with, with celebrity at all um, generally speaking but Clint Eastwood's pretty freaking important, you know? And um, and my first day is all me, the whole day. It's it's me doing all the scenes on the on the phone with him, which oh, there are right. a lot of. And so so I said, Can you have Clint call me? Uh, I call the office and uh, I'd like to talk to him about tomorrow. So there's no surprises. I want to make sure we're on the same page on how I'm gonna play this. This and so they say, fine, I work out that day, work out a little too hard, my back hurts. I go back to my hotel, and they got all the fancy stuff there. It's a nice hotel. I go, I'm going to take a bubble bath, <laughs> which is something I hadn't done since I was, you know, like 12. But now I'm old enough, I feel secure enough, I can take a bubble bath. I don't care. What the hell? Get some wine? I'm taking a bubble bath. Phone rings. One of fancy joints with the phone in the bathroom. Pick up the phone, Hello? Hello, Brian. It's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and you're in a bubble bath. He says his he says his last name like he's got to say his last name. You know. Like he, right. Anyways, yeah, I go. Uh, he goes, "What you doing?" I figure right into the mouth of the lion. I'm going for it. I'm taking a bubble bath. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear him say to his wife, "He's taking a bubble bath." <laughs> he thought it was freaking hilarious. And it's in the movie. What? He's in the movie. He takes a bubble bath in the movie. There's That's a scene right. where he's in a bubble bath. I think he put it in there because he thought it was hilarious. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I got that going for me. That's fantastic. Anyways. Uh, before you got into uh, acting and then comedy and then acting again, um, you, uh, you did a little time in the military? 
Yeah, like all all great Americans started out. I'm, I was born 30 years late. Yeah, I did. I just did a uh, thing. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was 19 and kind of restless. I'd been. I got fired from being a uh, a uh, a logger. Kind of quit. Fired. I was a good worker. I was a really good worker, but I, I just didn't want to be a logger anymore. And so. I went to Seattle and just hung out with my friends for a weekend. I didn't show up for work for like three days. They frown on that. I showed up and I just said, I just here to get my check, I guess. He goes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, yes, 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 just your check. That's all you'll be getting. Just a check. Don't even ask for anything else. Uh, so, uh, anyways, I... Uh, I I joined the army and um, had a good time. I just special forces. It was uh, open to, to um, first enlistments. Then normally they only do that from within ranks. You have to be within already in the army, and then you can apply for it. But they there was a window there when I got in in the early '80s when you could sign up for a shot at the what they call the SFQC, the Special Forces Qualification Course, and uh, I did it. It was a lot of fun. It was only three years. I did a couple of years of reserves afterwards, just as a goof. But then my stand-up career took off, and so I got out of the reserves, no problem. Missed Grenada by a week. What uh, <clears throat> What have your parents thought of your your career arc? Oh, they, were they supportive? They've been very supportive. They're wonderful. They they they're just you know they're simple Irish Catholic people. And they're they're thrilled, uh, and um, so yeah, I've been very blessed in that area, and. Uh, my dad always thought he was a comedian, so he was a little intimidated by me being on The Tonight Show, I think, because he kind of felt he should have been there. Really? <laughs> I don't know. So, Your dad fancy himself a comic? Yeah, he's got three, about three jokes, and they've lasted him approximately 70 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I know, I know real stand-up comics that are about the same, <laughs> yeah, the same amount true. of material, the same length of time. Yeah, about that, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've written. I haven't done stand-up in uh, in quite a while. I don't think I've toured since two thousand eight. I've just been acting. Do you miss it? I mean, do you, when you see stand-up, do you go. Ah, I, I love it. You know, yeah, I absolutely love it, and I, I wished I hadn't have gotten out. Um, it's just when you're. It's just. It's an enormous amount of work. You know, if you're a stand-up, and you think of this when you watch someone like Norm do a killer one hour. No one's been able to do that, by the way. So few people have been able to have a career as long as his and still put out the goods. If you write one minute of material um, a week, one minute of funny, bankable material, you're the most prolific comedian ever because no one's ever done that. That's 52 minutes of material a year. That's a new album every year. Nobody has ever done that. It's certainly not on a level of Steve Martin quality type, but huge, funny, sustainable comedy. I mean, a lot of people do a lot of albums. Even even Carlin, you know, had some dogs. Uh, he had some really good ones, but he also started getting a little thin. But uh, if you can write one minute of material a week, I've written that in about ten years. I got one joke. Here's my new joke. Uh it's a one-liner, which I don't have many of those. Uh, I went to check myself into a mental hospital, but the line to get in was insane. <laughs> That's Is that where you, then you take the branch out of your pocket? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just an enormous amount of work, and if you're acting and working on other things and you have a family, it's, it's very tough to do stand-up. You, you pretty much have to devote your life to it. As is evidenced by Jerry Seinfeld, I think one of the greatest stand-ups ever. And when he came back, was not nearly as strong as he was when he was uh, constantly touring. Yeah, um, yeah, sure, he could be. But, you know, with his empire, the enormous amount of, of time it takes to generate that new materials, it's, it's, it's yeah. a tough business. Yeah, it's it's hard, and it's it's constantly shifting. You know, I mean, most of the guys that you and I know, uh, they're having trouble getting ahead, planning gays because they bring in the younger crowd, yeah. and you know, most of the major markets are going. Well, you know, we need you know some of the younger stuff, uh, younger right. guys, and so 
Now, guys I've known for years in San Francisco, they're able to headline punchline on like a Tuesday night, but they can't get a weekend anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Ruben. Crazy. Um, but a lot of comics have been getting into podcasting, particularly guys that are, you know, finding it tough to get booked, uh, to find an audience, where their audience go. Uh, you know, I'm, I think the best known case of that is Mark Marin. Yeah, Marin. Got his, you know, I got a Marin story for him. Yeah, he kind of put it together because he didn't, you know, he didn't know what else to do. We couldn't get booked. Uh, I got a Marin story for you. Okay, cool. I got to get this out there. He, I'm dying to run into him because I want to bring this up to him because I have nothing against Mark. He's 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 a very nice guy, Uh, but he opened for me when he was starting out at Columbia. He middled for me, and I'm playing Columbia. This is my show. You know, this is my show. When you're working a college, the opening acts are even less than in a club. They're just, they're just, you know, to kind of warm up the audience a little bit. He does 50 minutes, 50 minutes in front of me. Oh my god! I go, what the hell was that? He goes, I was killing. I go, oh my god, are you out of your mind? He does a headliner set in front of me, drains the audience. I had no case set after it. But I've been dying to, to run into him since then and go, had any uh, opening acts do uh, 50 minutes in front of you lately? <laughs> I'm sure he knows now that that was a big mistake, a big faux pas. That's funny. But That's funny. But re- the, uh, real nice but guy. But a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys, either to generate new material or because there's a lot of downtime or because there's no one to tell them you can't do that material, there are a lot of guys doing podcasting, you know? Uh, and you have found your way into podcasting in a dramatic fashion. Uh, the back uh, door, Mark. Yeah, that's me, always through the back door. You know me. Well, it's interesting. I've, I mean, as a, as a purveyor of podcasts, uh, I'm fascinated by the message, which yeah. is uh, being produced by General Electric, which is really interesting. That's cool. Um, and it's sort of one of the first cases of major corporations taking a, a close look at podcasting and saying, eh, maybe we'll put our toe in the water and see what's going on out there. Sure. Um, but um, just for my audience in brief, the, the message is about a podcaster, uh, this woman from, I believe she's from Chicago, and uh, she's a linguist, and she gets hired to basically bird dog this case of trying to decipher this supposedly extraterrestrial message that was received like five years earlier in the military has had it and they've been trying to figure out where it came from and what it means try to understand it and they finally decided let's the public sector it's been 75 years let's turn to some people that may have the smarts to figure this out and that company that's like a cipher company they bring this podcaster into chronicle the attempt to decipher the message. So that's just sort of the backstory for what the podcast is about. And uh, you play uh, the the sort of military liaison. I'm Colonel Eubanks, representing the uh, the army, who brought the project to. We're finally we're going uh, social media. We're gonna we're gonna crowdsource it. Yeah. Because uh, we can't get make headway with this thing. I think maybe 30 seconds passed before I even noticed there's another person in the room. An older man in uniform. Am I allowed to give her your name? Lieutenant Colonel Perry Eubanks, ma'am. Hey, uh, nice should to I meet you. just... Salute. Not necessary. Colonel Eubanks, it turns out, is an old colleague of Robin and Ty's from their NSA days. And just to clarify, Nikki, your recording equipment is live right now, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Perry, if you really meant what you said about this being declassified, you won't mind saying it right now. Can we sit down first? or Right uh, after you repeat the thing, on the record. The NSA would like to hire Cypher to decode a message we have reason to believe was transmitted by an extraterrestrial. Crazy down, right? Now can we sit down? <laughs> I'll say up front, uh, you wouldn't be the first... A number of internal teams have taken a crack at it since 1945. Uh, you kept this a secret for 70 years? Uh, written by uh, Mac Rogers, by the way, who did a really good job. This is very... What's the word? Uh, Orwellian? What, what is it? What, uh, 
Orwellian? Well, War of the Worlds kind of stuff. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. It's very much... Um, uh, it's very much a War of the Worlds sort of thing, because very quickly... Uh, the episodes aren't very long. It's a quick list, listen. It's like eight to ten minutes per episode, but by, by the third episode, things have started to jump the rails. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it gets pretty crazy. Yeah, the people at Slate uh, brought the idea, um, and GE sponsored it, and and, uh, and so... Yeah, some pod, the, the, the auspices of there's a podcaster who's a linguist that's doing a show and got invited to uh, to meet two of her favorite linguists, some uh, uh, famous linguists, and uh, so she took them up on it and, uh, and they dropped this bomb on her that they have a recording of an extraterrestrial um, recording that the U.S. government's been trying to figure out since 1953. Uh, what it's saying and to, to, to decipher it, and I don't want to give away too much, but yeah. what the military kind of failed to mention was that a lot of the people that have listened to this end up dying. Yes, <laughs> and that uh, now that they've crowdsourced it, the whole world might die. <laughs> slight, slight oversight on my part, which I tell them, you know, I apologize for just before I wrap the towel around my neck and go into the bathroom with a gun and. <laughs> pull off a uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Strange uh, small clerical oversight I believe <laughs> yeah. was the term you used <laughs> my precious bodily fluids not great but, so how do you get a call to, to participate in a project like this uh, just, uh, I'm with uh, Abrams as my agent and they have, they're one of the largest uh, voiceover artists as well the, uh, they, they have probably the largest voiceover department of any oh. agency so I occasionally get called to go in on uh, on uh, projects, and this one was an interesting thing. Uh, I, I don't book too much uh, voiceover work. I did the voiceover for uh, NFL Blitz, a, a EA Sports video game. Okay. And uh, maybe one other thing, but uh, this one it was I was really kind of upset going in because they didn't have a sign-in sheet. I didn't have a script, a breakdown, nothing. I had no idea. What was going on, and and I was exasperated that day, and I I went in all kind of gruff and a little annoyed, and it's exactly what they were looking for. <laughs> so as luck would have it, kind of like uh, kind of like uh, uh, Bob or um, Tom Kinney getting the uh, getting the Bob the SpongeBob part. You yes. Know that? Have you heard that story? No, no. Now, I might butcher this, but I'm pretty sure Tom had just come from a voiceover audition where he heard an angry, uh, what do they call it, a, a dwarf. Yeah, that's the dwarfism. Small person, yeah. but as opposed yeah. to a midget, which is derogatory, right? Or, but a midget it would be proportional. Yeah. Dwarf so, would be dwarfism. Yeah. So they got that voice, you know, and they get angry. And they get, they get that voice going, like the guy from Seinfeld. You know, they, they get... They animated, and so Tom, as you know, Tom, you know him personally. Right. Tom's just always he picks up stuff like a sponge, and he's doing this voice for everyone, making them laugh. And he gets this audition to play a part in a cartoon, and he goes, "I'm just going to do that angry dwarf." <laughs> and it turned into the most popular, uh, one of the most popular cartoon voices ever, SpongeBob SquarePants. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's great. So, are you, do you have much exposure to uh, the world of podcasts? Podcasting, you ever listened to any? I was told I should have gotten on it, but the day it came out, a friend of mine said, "Oh, you got to check this out." And I just didn't see it. I didn't get it, like blogging or anything else. I just didn't. It doesn't register with me. I'm too old school, yeah. and uh, I, I say that uh, I'm not proud of that. I, I mean, I, I admit it. You know, it's just uh, it's just not my scene. Um, so I've never done it, but I've all been told by everyone you should get into it, and I've been told for years now, and I never really have. Well, the um, good thing is it's still very much growing in popularity, and, and there are comics getting into it, it seems, every week. You know, Gilbert Gottfried just started his like a year ago. Oh, uh, love to hear he, he, like, interviews just famous old stars that he enjoys, like Larry Storch. Stuff like really? That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, man, fantastic. that's brilliant. I love yeah. it. Uh, so it, it really gives you a chance to, I mean, if there's something you're into or something you, you know, you want to bring out, uh, it's a great chance to do it and you really have total control, which is kind of what, you know, led you 
and so many others into the world of stand-up in the first place is um, you're your own person. There's nobody telling you what to put in your act, what not to put in your act. I've had an idea about some fictitious ones that I'd like to do, um, but I've never... Like, I, I want to do one... I was thinking of doing one as a racist, a neo-Nazi podcast. Sure. But the hook is, you can kind of tell I'm not really racist. Right. It kind of comes out that maybe I'm not racist. Well, that's funny. That's uh, funny. Guys at the guys at the lodge are always telling me that I'm not racist. Come on, look at me. <laughs> There's a, a great little short series, and the other thing is you're not limited to, or you're not stuck in doing. I'm going to be doing this forever. It's like Andy Daly did uh, an eight episode arc of episodes um, show for uh, Earwolf, and it was based on the, it was called the Andy Daly Pilot Project. And so we did eight different pilots for, for podcast ideas, all as different characters. But there was like a country western singing podcast, there was like a like a spooky story podcast, and it was all like, the, the every host was completely out of his mind. This sounds really familiar. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's something that uh, I think you'd definitely be good at. I mean, you do have, you know, voice talent for one thing but you got the stand up mind and yeah. uh, I don't know it's a way to way to get your, well, your stuff out if, especially if you've had like this frustration over not being able to get out there and do stand up it's a great way to kind of you know get some material up there yeah 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 I'm thinking about getting back into it now and, and I've got an idea for a, a show called the Brian Haley show that might be a good outlet for it do they do video podcasts yeah you can, absolutely you just have your own show on YouTube, I guess. That's right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just getting into this YouTube thing. No. <laughs> I'm actually I'm on top of stuff. I am. I am totally on top of stuff and literate on all new media and everything. And I have been since it came out. I see the opportunity. I'm not. I just don't care about it. Is my problem. <laughs> I just don't. How are the film? How are the film scripts doing for you? <laughs> yeah. From school, the record. It's just. <laughs> the next one good yeah. night thanks yep so yeah I'm just um, yeah I'm, I'm gonna look into that Brian Haley show is a funny funny idea if I could ever get it up and going it's extremely expensive is the problem because I need an orchestra ah. or at least a cardboard orchestra with someone conducting it okay well, start but, uh, small yeah. start with a tr- start with a trio and work your way up yeah it's a full show it's, it's a huge show that I want to do you know, we have showcase rooms out here. For those who don't know, a showcase room is a uh, like when you go to uh, the cellar in New York or the Improv in L.A. There's a showcase rooms where you, every comedian only does 15 minutes, um, and as opposed to a three-act show, which is really like Caroline's or Punchline in San Francisco, they have a three-act opener, a middle, and a headliner. And showcase rooms you get 15 minutes, and I want to do a 15-minute Brian Haley show. And I have ulterior motives for it, but it would let me give you a taste of it. Yeah. It opens up. I have the MC, I have whoever's emceeing say, not come up on stage. I'll do, let's say, Caroline's. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Caroline's presents a special presentation. <laughs> then we cut to audio. and the piped-in audio. From New York! It's <laughs> the Brian Haley Show with the theme song and everything with the orchestra. That's where I have actual orchestra. And this is right. for a 15-minute set. Okay. Actual orchestra. I got The Late Late Show by Milt Bruckner. And then uh, tonight Brian's guests are, you know, and I, I have one of my comedian friends drop in and do a set, you know, comedian Jerry Swallow, uh, plate spinner Joe Howe. And, uh, you know, whatever. And the Brian Healy Dancers. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Haley. And then the theme song comes up. I come up nice looking. Tux. <laughs> old, t- old timey, you know. Dean Martin looking. Yeah. 60s. Cool. And, uh, and I do like three minutes. <laughs> Applause signs on the side come on. We cut, we cut to a commercial. I have TV sets that I've brought up. And cut to a commercial. Show some fake commercial I make. Come out of that. And it's... Uh, and now we bring in uh, Joe Howe, plate spinner, a friend of mine. He, he does. He, he practiced this just for this one gag. Nice. He's a plate spinner that doesn't know how to spin plates, which is <laughs> harder than spinning plates. 
to act like you don't know how to do it. Finally gets one going, and now, now he can't reach his plates anymore. Has to have someone from the audience from the front row grab him, hand him, hand him another plate. So I do that. There's three, four minutes there. Boom, we're out of that into another commercial. We come up, have a stand-up, have one of my buddies come up and do a three-minute set. We're out of that. And then you're at another commercial or short, and then we're uh, into Brian Haley dressed in the tux, and I'm doing some goofy dance, singing some goofy song. Uh, LED sound system, uh, LCD, anyways, uh, 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 movement. It's this cool song. It's really cool, and it has a what they call when it, the bass drops and it explodes into this huge, cool song. And I'm doing this really stupid dance that looks stupid until I step forward. Off comes the ripaway tux. I'm wearing a, a silver lame jumpsuit with with the sparkly boots and. Four dynamite-looking dancers, hot dancer chicks wearing the exact same outfit. And when they do these dance I'm doing, it looks fantastic. So I'm doing this dance, everything's great. We're out with a commercial, 14 minutes. Last thing that happens, the entire cast comes up, me, of course, wearing the, uh, you know, the smoking jacket and the ascot. And, uh, and, and I go, good night, everybody. And we all wave. While in front of the stage, giant clear plastic scrim, the credits roll in front of the stage. Credits begin to roll. We all wait for the night, and guests of the Brian Haley Show stay at the Milford Plaza Hotel. The Milford Plaza is the lullaby of old Broadway. And we all wave to the camera and talk. Oh, my God. Now, 15 minutes, Mark. That would be... That would Nobody be could follow it. No. <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> Nobody could follow that. Live orchestra, dancers, come on. Oh, it'd be great. It'd yes, be great. great show. I can, hardly, can hardly wait. So that, that's in the wings. You're, you're waiting to work that up. Just trying to get a little, raise a little uh, crowdfunding for that one. <laughs> but uh, why my ideas are just too expensive. That's my problem. I understand. That's why I'm, when I'm trying to think of movie scripts, I always go, yeah, just two guys. Two guys in a room. Exactly. One guy. One guy's an alien, see, <laughs> and the room is actually a spaceship. Oh, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then the battleship attacks. Wait a minute. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always the way it is. We, oh, we wrote an idea together, which I loved. We've written, we've written several, yeah. Which I loved, and we just did the treatment. Yes. And it's called, it was called, you remember what it's called? Oh, God. Uh... Two guys drive across the country. Yeah. Nothing but trouble. Yes, yes. And I, with your permission, rebooted that yes. and wrote it, and it's really good. But it's coming in at about 140 pages. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a tome. But that was like, they, as I remember, they, they, the main character, he gets in a... Maybe this is a different idea. Is this the same idea where he ends up in a small town and he... No, that's that's uh, Rebel with a Perspective. <laughs> Rebel with a Perspective. And you you end up in a jail in, like, the South. Yes. Yeah. And it's this wacky comedy where you can, you can leave, like, you leave this jail cell every night. And yeah. you can get out anytime you want. Yeah. And it was wild. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a, another half... That was a half-hour idea we had. But this feature I'm very excited about, and you'll get story credit on that. Uh, so I got that happening. It's it's I could see uh, it's a buddy movie about two guys. One guy's getting married, and wants the other his buddy to be the best man. The best man knows that he shouldn't be marrying this girl right. for the reason. So they, he'll do it on the condition he'll be the best man on the condition that they drive across the country. That'll give him five days. To, yeah, to talk about it. That's not yeah. spoken. But it's known. Like, I know why you're doing this, and I'm game. I'm going to, you know, the guy getting married goes, go ahead, try and talk me, you know. So they drive across the country, and uh, hijinks ensues. It's very funny. That's great. Yeah, I, It's like uh, Vince Vaughn, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, who's his compadre? In uh, Swingers? Yeah. No, the no. Wedding Crashers duo. Uh, oh, Wedding Crashers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vince Vaughn okay. and, and Wilson, Owen Wilson. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Brian, I've used up enough of your Sunday. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, this is fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Now, now, you appear in two episodes 
so far that I've heard of the message. Uh, the last one sounds pretty dire, like we may not see you again. Oh, no, that's what I was joking about. The, I pictured myself like uh, like the guy from Dr. Strangelove uh, going and wrapping the towel around his neck and going into yes. the bathroom and you hear the gunshot. Yeah. I've paid, I pretty much, I'm taking the blame. Yes. I'm Colonel Eubanks, and I'm taking the blame for, well, it, we just got some new information on this. It turns out that uh, we kind of did know that people <laughs> have been dying from this, and... Uh, they weren't all dying from different causes. Yeah, we thought it was just coincidence, but the information was transcribed wrong, and they're all dying of the same disease. (laughs) A pulmonary, violent, (laughs) can't-breathe disease. (laughs) Your character is referred to, however, in subsequent episodes, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I think I'm in three episodes or so, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, it's cool. It's great, and it's great catching up with you. And uh, I uh, look forward to talking to you in the near future as well. Mark, you're a good man, and you're a damn good writer, too, and I, uh, I wish you the best on your podcast and your writing endeavors. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Take care. See you around. Thanks to Brian for taking time out to chat it up with me. His website seems to be down, but you can follow Brian at Haleywood, H-A-L-E-Y-W-O-O-D on Twitter, and see all the things he's got to say. Before we get into the tweet sack, here's a word from our sponsor. Hello, friends. Whether you are a believer or not in all of this global climate change malarkey, there's no denying that the world's weather has taken on an odd end-of-days look and feel. A day that's bright and balmy one moment can change into a dark and stormy with no warning at all. Which is why the design team at Henderson's Pants has come up with a new exciting breakthrough. Poncho Pants. Yes, for the first time in trouser history, or trousery as we like to say, you can own a stylish pair of pants fit for any business meeting or social occasion, which is also equipped with a sturdy pullover poncho that not only comes with a hood, but is 100% waterproof to boot. The poncho, super thin and made of high-density mylar, is compressed using Henderson's patented microfold technology and tucked into the rear waistband of the pants. Now, at the first drop of moisture, simply reach behind your own back like this and with a good stiff yank on the poncho, as if giving yourself, ow, a Melvin or a wedgie, well, you unfurl the garment over... This hurts. Sorry. Unfurl the garment over your head and down in front of yourself. You'll be as right as rain and dry as a bone, ready to get on with the business at hand. Henderson's Poncho Pants are perfect for both men and women. Be sure to check out our other foul weather garments, the Skinny Jean Serape, the Coverall Cords, and our Denim and Duster Western Combo. Originally designed for Neil Sedaka, Gene Kelly, Credence Clearwater Revival, and anyone else who gets those references, <laughs> Henderson's Poncho, Poncho Pants Pants. are available anywhere cold fronts and warm fronts like to smack into each other. That's Henderson's, dressing on the left and on the right since 1837 because we're just that big. And now back to Sackatash. Yes, it's time for the Tweet Sack, that special time every episode when we try to keep up with the tweets, status updates, and email messages that come heading our way. It's easy to keep our eye out for them because we don't get a whole lot. Yeah, it's sad, right? First, a thanks to Davey and Dent, UK podcaster who hosts the Bitter Sound podcast, also hosts the, or co-hosts the Strange Times show. He was trying to upload a link to us from his latest Bitter Sound episode and noticed that the link to our upload site as it appears on our Facebook updates, doesn't seem to connect through. So I checked it out, and sure enough, the link looks normal, but when I cut and pasted it into the address bar in my browser, it had a bunch of hinky code attached to it, and it only went to a dead page at the upload provider. Not sure what's going on there. For some reason, when it uh, recopies that over from our Twitter, um, it goes screwy. So if you are a comedy podcaster would like to upload a three- to five-minute clip of your show directly to us, I would recommend going directly to Hightail.com slash U, that's just the letter U, slash Succotash. And I don't know if it makes a difference, but uh, try it with a capital S on Succotash, S-U-C-C-O-T-A-S-H. All right, so that should get you there, and then your clip should get directly up to us. And we will have a clip from Davian Dent in our very next show. 
Uh, speaking of friends of our show, uh, Jeffrey Welchman, former host and grand poobah of the now defunct Inverse Delirium podcast, has resurfaced. I predicted he would be back, and sure enough, uh, I mentioned his new venture in somewhat hazy terms last episode. I'm now permitted to speak of it because the first episode of The Reigning Lunatic has dropped and even features yours truly, that's right, me, yours truly, in a guest-starring or guest-voicing role. I'll clip it on our next Succotash Clip show, but for now, you can get right to it and listen to the entire episode. That's The Reigning Lunatic on Stitcher. It wasn't up on iTunes when I looked. It might be there now, not sure, but uh, do a search for The Reigning Lunatic, and that's R-E-I-G-H-G-N-I-N-G, Reigning Lunatic. Uh, I had mentioned on the last episode that comedian Harry White in New York was talking about writing a couple of Henderson's Pants commercials for our own Bill Haywatt to read, and I had intimated that uh, maybe he just hadn't gotten around to it for various reasons. Turns out he had. Uh, he'd sent it, uh, as sometimes happens. It had gone astray. I'm going to blame the Internet. It's probably... I probably didn't see it or something or it went in a spam filter i don't know but he resent his two spots that he'd written and they're quite funny so i have shuffled them along to mr haywatt who's on vacation at the moment but we'll be back soon we'll be back in front of the studio p microphones and uh, we'll have two brand new spots courtesy of harry white coming out uh in uh, future episodes all right. Uh, I finally got around to looking at the comments that occasionally get posted at SuccotashShow.com. That's our home site. And I'm so used to just getting spam there, nobody ever seems to actually want to tell us anything, that I had looked for a while. Well, uh, I found one from Uncle Dan of the Talk Taco Tuesday podcast from last October 5th. He says, thanks to Mark and the Suckatash Show for again highlighting the Taco Tuesday podcast. We appreciate you letting our little production slide, especially among all the great talent you highlight every episode. We may not uh, be always doing it right, but we sure are exploring new ways to showcase our work. Thanks again, Dan. Well, thank you, Dan. I think what he's referring to was uh, I was kind of down on those guys for sending me a self-contained uh, uh, teaser for their show uh, because we're just... Uh, we just want to play clips because it feels more natural and uh, gives us a, a true slice. And uh, so that was a fully produced trailer for his uh, podcast. Uh, I let him slide. He's right. I let them. I like those guys and I let Dan and his crew get away with it. How about that? Uh, if you want to send us questions or comments, uh, you can get them here in the old tweet sack by sending them to M-A-R-C. That's me, Mark, at SuccotashShow.com. Uh, you can simply include at Succotash Show in a tweet question, and we'll see that. Or you can call our non-toll-free number, 1-818-921-7212, and leave us a message on the Succotash hotline. That number again is 1-818-921-7212, uh, Succotash hotline. We'd love to hear from you. If we get your question via the hotline, I will just replay your question in its entirety right here on the show. All right, that's it for the cards and letters. Let's take a moment to thank a bunch of those folks kind enough to tweet, retweet, follow, love, like, heart, or otherwise mention Succotash in their social media stream in the past week or so. Wayne Fetterman, Gobsmacked, Pod Underground, YMM Radio, Samantha Pet, The Angry Ginger, 3D, Dave in the Cave, Texas Butter, Julie Lynn Emerson, Lest Bree forget, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it makes me laugh. Tony Wolf, Giselle Nett, Lord Tiberius, Science Faction. Good morning, you drunk. <laughs> Good morning, you drunks. <laughs> uh, I hope that's a podcast. I've got to listen to that one. Floyd R. Billet, DAPF Podcast. I'm going to be interviewing those guys from DAPF pretty soon. Davian Dent, Taco Tuesday. What a pair of trousers. Cora Bulert. Bu I don't know. Uh, sorry for the names I mangle. Jason Gotts. Three Cuckoos. The Slant. Couple of Things Podcast. Tiger and Socko Jones. The All Seeing Guys. Ryan Bradshaw. Alan. Oh no. Adam Abnett. The Salty Language Podcast. Passersby Podcast. Hirosha Scheib. Paul Rabinowitz. Drew Carlberg. Zombie Mommy. Crowd Buzz, The Fake Ass Radio Show, Jabs of the D-Head Factor, The Pod Mafia, Sergio Valenzuela, John Anilio, 
Illusionoid, Constant Struggle, The African 81, The Naked Porch Podcast, Black Core VR, Dale Seaver, Josh Musio, Patrick Flynn, Matt Knudsen, Larry Stevens, Stephen Fresh, Unreal U.S. Politics, Jordan Brady, Dr. Pistol Pete, Farat I, Talk Nerdy to Me, Corrosive Radio, Geek Master Blaster, Jason Beckwith, MS, Bill Butcher, Dr. Cliff Huxtable, Podcast Critic, Rob Mad Dog Lynch, Dr. Charlie Outback, Broken Filter Live Show, Gamer Jules Jules, Rapture Insurance, Corey Epps, Eric Furness, Dave Nelson, The Educated Podcast, Party Roll Podcast, FYFC Podcast, Dale A. Thompson, The Gormless Mook, Rob and Slim, Kyle Bertheson, Endgame's Improv, Speechless Show, The Irish on Fire, The M.O. Show Podcast, or no, that's The Mo Show Podcast, accidentally capitalized both those letters, Missale Virgin, Frank De Piazza, Wiki Shuffle Podcast, George Grimwood, Talk Radio X, Jim Haney, Rick Carr, Shaharyar Khan, <laughs> Robert Bacon, AFK Steffers, Jack Aldrin, Angel Adjuljar, Andujar, <laughs> Mrs. Cashew, oh, why couldn't they all be Mrs. Cashew, Chris Alnott, Daryl Motors, David Taylor, Sean Merrick, Roddy Schweringen, Instagrants, uh, Agent Palmer, Eisenstein Effect, Primetime Chuckles, David Feldman, Scheiser and Marino, Kristen Chamber, Dr. Darth Outback, Hob the Troll, DAPF Pod Neal, TV Donut, Drunken Dork Podcast, Michael Cadle, The Lo-Fi Show, Does This Hold Up, Jelly Vision Live, Royal and Doodle, they're coming back, Royal and Doodle, are, they're revamping, they're returning, they'll be back soon, Royal and Doodle, Ice in the Face, Mike Russo, and the Unsocial Network. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the American presidential sweepstakes. You know, Winston Churchill called our electoral process a circus wrapped in a game show covered in poisonous weasel glitter, or something like that. There just has to be a better way to pick the leader of the free world. At times, it almost seems like anybody who can be president shouldn't be. Speaking of which, who would want this job? Look at what we do to these poor people. Gang debates, smug interrogators, partisan witch hunts, sentenced to months of trudging through the Iowa-New Hampshire mud, teams of opposition researchers digging through garbage looking for anything resembling dirt, gas station sushi. You know what? Hey, we're going to run this like a game show. Let's run it like a game show. Considering the obstacles involved, we could easily change the title and format to The Amazing Race, political version. They morphed Apprentice into Celebrity Apprentice. Why not Presidential Apprentice? Let Donald Trump see how it feels to be fired. Gonna happen soon. Nobody would quibble with The Biggest Loser. A lot of shows wouldn't need much alteration. Big Brother sort of fits. The real world, in an ironic sense. Shark Tank, definitely. American Idol, yeah, right, dream on. The Voice, or lack thereof. Survivor, Foggy Bottom, is almost a perfect fit. We could even mimic the format, offer up clues to help contestants find hidden immunity idols. Congratulations, you are guaranteed second place in the South Carolina primary. Or go a different direction altogether. Simply bill it as America's next top politician. Dancing with the office seekers. Keeping up with the Roosevelts. And finally, so you want to negotiate with Putin. For Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, I'm Will Durst. And there you have it, our second burst of Durst for this episode. Thanks so much to Will Durst for supplying us with those. You can find more of Will at willdurst.com. Also tweeting at Will Durst on the Twit machine, or twitter.com as it's sometimes known. Um, I, uh, I, I've been bringing you this show from uh, a room in my house because I'm not in Studio P, and Studio F broke down today. That's right, my little Fiat 500. 
I was out in the wilderness, um, not far from my home, but it's like four miles away, hiking in the wilderness, and got back to my car, and uh, Studio F refused to turn over. So I had to, uh, there's no cell phone reception uh, where I hike, so I had to uh, hike all the rest of the way home. And so I'm off to try and repair Studio F as best I can, and I don't know anything about cars. So uh, thank you so much for listening. That's all uh, all she wrote, at least when it comes to her writing about Succotash Epi 119. If you get a chance, please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and anywhere else you might run across us on the interwebs. And we have a new acapella song by our friend Abner Surd, which we will play at the end of the show. We'll be back really soon with a Succotash Clips episode with sound bites from a whole bunch of comedy podcasts. In the meantime, let your friends know about us, and we'll cheerfully thank you for passing the Succotash. Goodbye. You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, and on SoundCloud. You can also hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Succotash Show. Email us at marc at SuccotashShow.com. Or call into the Succotash hotline at our non-toll-free call number, 818-921-7212. That number again is 818-921-7212. Succotash is produced and engineered with the kind assistance of Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our associate producer is Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott. Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I am your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotage. Goodbye. Wake up, wake up, it's Saturday. Put on your shirts and sleeves. Come on, come on, before we play, we gotta rake the leaves. We rake the leaves when they tumble from the sky. We rake the leaves then. We make the pile high, and we jump in. Wake up, wake up, the day's begun. Put on your dungarees. We gotta find some conkers underneath the chestnut trees. We're playing conkers with chestnuts on a string. We're playing conkers. We'll take a mighty swing. Ha ha, we win. Wake up, wake up, let's go outside, put on your gloves and hat. We'll play all day, then come inside and poke the thermostat. We'll drink some cocoa and eat some ginger men. We'll drink some cocoa to warm us up again. Let fall begin. <laughs>